This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of the Sentinel Fort in Town, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. The big headline in North America this morning, Justin Trudeau, Canada's blackface-loving prime minister, is now a minority government leader, that is. Huh. Last night, there were federal elections up north and the liberals are forming the next government except they're doing it as a minority government they lost their majority it's looking like this was um due mostly to a resurgence of separatism in quebec well i don't know if separatism is a fair uh way to describe it but the bloc quebecois the quebecois nationalists Roaring back in the parliament last night. Bit of a, a disappointment for the NDP, who didn't do as well as people mm. were hoping. Jagmeet Singh. That, that's... Did you learn this from Rob Rousseau's feed last night? I did learn. Well, I went to sleep, I think, before we knew fully what was going on. But I was watching uh, hours of the Rob Rousseau feed and... It was very good. I, nice. you, you know, a fellow lefty podcaster, uh, scrappy content producer, putting out a very good election night coverage, and you unironically love to see it. And like us, disappointed with election results <laughs> in their home country. That's right. right. That's right. Although, you know, it could have been worse. It could, it could have been worse. Conservatives lost. And now Trudeau is going to have to rely on either the bloc or the NDP to pass legislation. So uh, hopefully he won't be doing uh, some of the shittier things he was doing before uh, with regards to pipelines and uh not taxing the rich as he had promised. I did see on Twitter that one of the far right party leaders lost oh yes in part because the rhinoceros party ran someone who had the exact same name as him <laughs> to pull votes away yeah maxime bernier yeah, the him. uh the funny thing about him is he was almost the conservative party leader and then he lost that and threw a fit and started his own weirdo party and he got owned last night so lol all right, well, let's focus on third world America, where PG&E, the utility company in California, is announcing more blackouts. The company warned Monday that it may turn off the power to more than 200,000 customers due to, quote, an offshore wind event that increases the threat of wildfires. Do you get a an F-35 vibe here? How the F-35 can't fly in the rain and PG&E can't deliver electricity when... It's windy. There, yeah. Same I, vibe. It, it is incredible F-35 energy coming from uh, the energy company. Speaking of corporate grifters, uh, just some really upsetting headlines this morning. <laughs> Evidently, uh, WeWork's outgoing CEO, Adam Newman, we have bantered a lot about this guy on, on our show. We don't mm-hmm. need to get on, into all of that now. But... He's receiving a, a, an exit package. I don't want to call it a retirement package because hes I don't think he's older than 50. He's not retiring. He's forced out of his position. But basically, this like is... he's our age. <laughs> no, he's a little older than is that. He, he looks like he's some weirdo 
who just graduated. Anyway, uh, the genius board members at WeWork uh, think that him leaving is worth 1.7 billion United States dollars. And we're talking about we're talking about a guy who has taken this company. It's never been profitable. He has uh, raised it to prominence through I don't know, just fucking our craven media scene where anyone can get a boost if if they say the right things, brand themselves the right way, uh, and are unapologetically capitalists. And not only has it never been profitable, but Adam Newman has made himself a billionaire in the process. And part of WeWork's business model involves renting real estate owned by one Adam Newman. So... Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, if you are listening to this right now, you need to start trashing this dipshit in public because here you have an example of a billionaire using quote-unquote market signals and capitalism, the supposed incredibly efficient allocator of resources. He's using this to make himself a billionaire on the back of a terminally unprofitable company. (laughs) This is your poster boy for why the system is completely and utterly fucking broken. And I suspect Bernie could make more hay of this than Warren because Adam Newman is a good capitalist. Yeah. We're lucky Sam's here recording. Uh, He was talking about how he wanted to walk into traffic after (laughs) reading that headline. (laughs) No, it's uh, no, you're, you're you're misconstruing my level of despair. Well, a little bit. I think your walk into traffic connotes some sort of self-harm, uh, whereas I wanted to lay down in an intersection to block traffic, <laughs> assuming no one would run me over. Gotcha. Assuming Republican fucking Freedom Caucus members weren't on their way to work or whatever. That makes more sense. Because it's like, what can you do? We're all out here working. We're all out here trying well, to Well, some fucking, of us are podcasting. Some of us are podcasting, but even that, believe it or not, requires labor. And here you have this incredible fucking dipshit who's just making hand, money, hand over fist, running a company into the ground. Mm. Like, what else can you do? Like, we should all be laying down in intersections until Adam Newman is fucking stripped of every single dollar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Adam Newman, 40 years old, so he is pretty much our age cohort. He is pretty much our age. All right, let's get to the meat. It's Tuesday, October 22nd, 2019. Here's the news. A major settlement to report on between the nation's largest opioid distributors and the cities that they've wreaked havoc on. The companies, opioid distributors Amerisource, Bergen, Cardinal Health and McKesson, and manufacturer Teva Pharmaceuticals, agreed to hand over $260 million in funding and products to two Ohio counties, Summit and Cuyahoga, which were affected by the opioid crisis. Settlement includes $235 million in cash to the counties, $25 million worth of overdose treatment drugs. As part of the settlement, the company does not have to admit any wrongdoing. No executives face any criminal charges. Of course not. 
An economic report from the White House in 2017 found that the opioid epidemic has killed as many as 400,000 people in the U.S. and created more than a half trillion dollars in economic damages. So with this settlement, these companies are getting off easy, especially since the counties were asking for $8 billion in damages. The companies also managed to avoid the first ever federal trial on these matters. But this is just one settlement, and opioid distributors are facing literally thousands of similar lawsuits from other cities and counties across the nation. Shortly after news of yesterday's settlement, attorneys general representing four states as part of that larger suit against the opioid companies, including Johnson & Johnson this time, offered up their own settlement to the tune of $48 billion dollars. That settlement would see the companies pay out $48 billion worth of cash and products to 3,000 or so cities, counties, and tribal entities that have been harmed by the epidemic in our filing suit. Last week, a similar deal, but with a much lower settlement of $18 billion, was rejected by the municipalities. It's unclear at the moment how many will sign on to this new figure. Meanwhile, Cuyahoga and Summit counties in Ohio, fresh off their settlement, fresh off their settlement with opioid manufacturers and distributors, are preparing to take on pharmacies next, including Walgreens, which I read that name. I didn't even know Walgreens still existed. I thought that CVS had replaced every single one of them. You thought that Walgreens uh, was wiped out by teaming up with Theranos? (laughs) They should have been. Did did they not team up with Theranos? I think they did. There's Everybody a, that's teamed up with Theranos has like failed upward except poor Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Walgreens definitely exists. And in fact, there's, there's none here around here. There right? is one. CBS. There's there is a Walgreens oh. in Chinatown. Uh, oh, you're right. There famously, you're right, famously there reviewed by one Matthew Iglesias. <laughs> who, I forgot about that. Who, one. When it opened, he he went there. Uh, to write a review. Speaking of Elizabeth Warren, if you're listening, this story is a great opportunity for you to bring up your plan to nationalize pharmaceutical companies because we need that shit. Financial regulators are being asked to probe a report of suspicious futures trading connected to major news events. Yesterday, 15 Senate Democrats sent a letter to federal law enforcement and regulatory agencies. They cited the report asking for an inquiry into issues raised last week by Vanity Fair writer, veteran business reporter William Cohen. As Cohen explained, there have been a number of sketchy trades on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. They involve assets called S&P E-minis, futures contracts with value tied to the S&P 500. In the past few months, people have bought a shit ton of them right before major news events causing the major stock index to go one way or the other. Cohen cited five transactions that have reportedly caused CME pit traders to wonder if they're indicative of insider information. Three of them alone happened in a 10-day span. One involved shorting the S&P right before Houthi rebels attacked Saudi oil infrastructure. Another involved betting the index would go up right before China and the U.S. announced progress in trade disputes. Another involved the bet on the S&P to increase right before Hong Kong leader Carrie Lam announced a withdrawal of the extradition proposal that sparked mass protests. They're all very curious. (laughs) Each of these transactions, very curious transactions, netted those who executed them respectively $180 million, $190 million, and $82.5 million. Now, 
It sounds like these deals could have been carried out on behalf of foreign actors, especially the short before the Houthi oil attack, but Cohen also makes it sound like that whoever did this may have learned from someone who made even bigger trades, trades that appear directly tied to statements made by President Trump. One happened on June 28th, right before President Trump announced trade talks with China were back on track. Whoever bet on the S&P 500 that day made a whopping $1.8 billion with a B. More troublingly, on August 23rd, someone bet on the S&P right before Trump lied about a phone call with Chinese officials advancing trade talks. The index subsequently jumped 80 points. As Cohen noted, quote, the potential profit on the trade was more than $1.5 billion. The Vanity Fair author also noted that regulators can probably find out who is making these trades. Neither the SEC nor the CFTC responded to Cohen's request for comment. So now Senate Democrats are following up. They quoted at length from his piece, noting, quote, we expect periodic updates on the progress of your investigation into this matter. End of I mean, quote. is this someone in the White House or like a buddy of Wilbur Ross or? <laughs> Certainly uh, with the $2 billion trades that occurred right before Trump ran his mouth about uh, uh, what was going on with China. It certainly seems like it was someone close to the president. Yeah, it seems like insider trading. <laughs> Big time. Big or time. or it's, I don't remember the name of this movie, but it was with um, Nicolas Cage in which he could like see numbers or something. Or maybe, I don't, I never saw the movie. I'm just going strictly off the trailer, but he could predict future <laughs> events based on like numbers or something. Are you thinking about the movie Pi? No. By any chance? That's no. that's a really good movie, by the way. Have yeah. you seen that movie? A long time ago. That was when I was into like my like indie film phase where I was like, Oh, Pi. Everybody <laughs> should check out Pi. <laughs> it, Telling all like my high school friends, like, have you seen Pi? <laughs> now there there's like this unspoken logic that uh I talked about before with that Cohen sort of alludes to in this piece where it it really does sound like that these two big trades happened. You know, it seems like someone with inside knowledge of the White House uh, uh, sort of executed them. And then possibly foreign actors noticed that someone with ties to Trump did this and were like, hey, fuck, we can do this, too. And maybe someone vis-a-vis the Houthi attacks, maybe someone in the Middle East uh, with inside knowledge of that shit. I don't know. But uh it, it is it is sketchy stuff indeed. Uh, coincidentally, the Senate Banking Committee held hearings today on an initiative designed to help regulators stamp out insider trading and market manipulation. It's called the Consolidated Audit Trail. Here was some reaction from Republican senators. If you want to know how concerned they are about all of this, this is cake-eating serial killer Tom Cotton and fake folksy Vanderbilt Oxford dipshit John Neely Kennedy. There is huge costs to this program. Chairman Crapo outlined a bunch of the financial costs, billions of dollars up front and then continued um, in operating expenses to say nothing of the cost of personally identifiable information. It is not clear to me what benefit market participants and Americans at large get. The SEC says it's going to cost $4 billion. Do you know how long it would take me to count to $4 billion? A long time. 128 years. 
when you're arguing in good faith. SEC says go cost four billion. This is four billion is a few drops of piss in a toilet when we're talking about the fucking huge amounts of money thrown around in financial markets. I mean, J.P. Morgan alone has fucking assets worth trillions. Anyway, these are the same country club cheese dicks who argue that local cops need MRAPs and armored vehicles. Law enforcement, not so great when it means cracking down on your gin-drunk Republican grifter buds, including, it really does sound like, someone close to the President of the United States making billions on trades. Staying on Capitol Hill here, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development Ben Carson was accused of abusing his power over a decision to withhold critical development funding to a hurricane-ravaged Puerto Rico. Congresswoman Nydia Velasquez pressed Carson on why HUD missed a deadline last month to issue funding notices worth billions of dollars to Puerto Rico. The department announced the development grants to 18 states affected by natural disasters, but curiously left Puerto Rico off the list. Congress appropriated $43 billion to help rebuild Puerto Rico, which saw tens of thousands of homes and critical infrastructure badly damaged by twin hurricanes two years ago. The island has received only a third of that funding so far, the only place which has seen their aid withheld. That includes only $1.5 billion of a total $20 billion grant through the Housing Department's Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Program. Last week, before a Housing Appropriations Committee, two HUD officials admitted to missing the deadline. HUD's Chief Financial Officer, Irv Dennis, and the Department's Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for Community Planning and Development, David Wohl, acknowledged that the Department didn't have statutory authority to withhold the funds. However, during today's hearing, Ben Carson claimed he did have the authority, he just couldn't cite it. Here he was under questioning from Velasquez. So my question to you is, where in federal law you are empowered, HUD is empowered, to withheld money that was supposed to go to Puerto Rico? I, I can't give you chapter and verse, but it does exist. Congress has specifically said to the secretary, you may not secretary get funds Carson, unless, you unless you have- Reclaiming my time, since you are not going to answer my question. Seemed like an answer to Reclaiming me. my time. Ultimately, Carson laid out the reason why the money wasn't released to Puerto Rico. He claimed that the island just couldn't be trusted with it. Interestingly enough, a lot of what we do is dictated by common sense. If you have a jurisdiction in which there are three changes of government within a month and which has historically had difficulty with financial management uh, to put an unprecedented amount of money in there without the appropriate controls. Is that is not the question here, sir. It's pretty disgusting, and it's adjacent to the borderline racist comments the president has made with regard to Puerto Rico and why money has been withheld. Um, Velasquez pressed Carson on whether or not this was a political decision and if he received orders from the White House to withhold the aid. Carson denied it, but but Velasquez promised to subpoena communications between HUD and the White House to get to the bottom of it. I also wanted to play this bit of sound from the hearing after Velasquez's questioning of Carson, in which the ranking member of the committee, Republican Patrick McHenry, tried to claim decorum in the House had been breached. 
because of criticism of Carson. This isn't really newsworthy, but just an example of how pathetic and whiny some of these dipshits are. I, I love these examples, so yeah, hit me with it. Here we go. Unparliamentary language when you're accusing uh, a, somebody testifying of personal corruption <laughs> is unbecoming of this institution and not appropriate in parliamentary language before this debate. Members should be admonished to keep uh, their opinions at opinions, but to accuse a, a panelist and a cabinet secretary of personal corruption no. is not becoming. Excuse me. Will you yield? Will you yield? I'm talking about corruption where two officials of FEMA were arrested in Puerto Rico. The time belongs to the gentleman at this point. Have you finished your point? Yes, ma'am. The gentleman has finished his point. Uh, will you yield to the gentle lady from uh, New York? Happy to yield. Yields. Sir, of the 17, 17 states and localities that got disaster relief fund, Puerto Rico was the only one whose money was delayed. Enough is enough. This Reclaiming is about my time, Madam human, Chair. Madam human Chair. The time belongs to the chair. The gentleman has noticed uh, his concerns. They have been responded to. And uh, Madam Chair, the gentle lady was to. referring to uh, the agency. And if your concern is about language unbecoming a member, then you should address that to all of the members. At any given time, we have all had language that one could consider unbecoming. Madam With Chair, <laughs> Madam we'll Chair, move on. to accuse a cabinet secretary of personal corruption, which is what the gentle lady did, is not becoming of members of this committee. The gentleman is out of order. The gentleman from Oklahoma, Mr. Ridiculous. Lucas, is recognized for five minutes. McHenry was so pissed uh, after that after that exchange. He like pushed his microphone back and just like stewed, staring forward. But <laughs> another example of those who scream the loudest, mocking safe spaces, are always quick to complain about decorum when people in power are challenged. <laughs> Go change your diaper, Congressman. Does this mean you can't bring up emolument stuff in Congress because it violates? Well, there are things you can't say about the president. You're, you in can't Congress. call him racist. Right? Yeah, you can't call the president a racist. You basically in can't Congress. insult the president or imply that he's engaged in illegal behavior. So you can you can go onto the floor of the House or the Senate and you can read state secrets. You can go through a confidential. CIA report, uh, the classified chapter, and read paragraph by paragraph, and they can't stop you. But if you say the president is racist, boom, you're done. The fuck out. Don't even think about it. Nevertheless, they persisted. All right, that is the newscast for today. Before we go, I see we've got a call on the listener rant line. Let's hear what y'all have to say. Hey, Sam. It's Luke. I uh, just wanted to call about the Yankees and some other stuff. Uh, first, about the Yankees and, and the Nats, obviously, congrats. Um, and fuck Altuve. I really hope that you guys will find some way to get to uh, to get to uh, Cole and, and Verlander and all that bullshit. Uh, hopefully, the uh, pitching will crumble uh, due to Barbara Bush's ghost. Second, really quick, uh, I, I kind of just like, I don't know, I was listening to the NPS thing, the, the fish and wildlife, and I, I just wanted to say that, like, yeah, while, while some, like, aspects of, like, NPS officials being threatened 
aren't good and it's a public service that we should protect. I definitely think that there's an issue with how NPS specifically, I don't know so much about like wildlife protection. Um, they, they kind of cater to the ultra rich and they cater to, um, like just turning our public lands into a, a like a playground for the, you know, the bougie assholes who go to REI and spend and too much money on overpriced tent or something. Uh, anyway, that, that's, that's all I have to say. Uh, fuck NPS, they're cops. But also, they should be there. Later, <laughs> boys. Thanks uh, for the call, Luke, and for speaking to the ongoing struggle we have on this show about park police and yeah. stewards of our public lands who are very cop-adjacent but are also kind of necessary to make sure a bunch of dipshits don't like exploit all of our public lands. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm not sure how I fully feel about, uh, about some of these officials, but I certainly like when we're talking about dismantling, uh, the police, I think, I think we're going to come for the park police, uh, near the end. <laughs> This is, I think they're, so. they're not high. They're not. They're not high on the priority now. As for the World Series, I'm starting to come around to the idea that the Astros are garbage, big time. And I know the Nats have a lot of shitty fans like George Will and Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> yeah, but we might be the good guys in this one. One less shitty fan since Crowdhammer died. Well, yeah, that's yeah, true. So. Also, another interesting uh, aspect for this show, and then, then we're going to leave you, but Barbara Bush was an Astros fan. Mm. Someone pointed this out to us on Twitter. So I'm not sure Barbara Bush's ghost is on our side for this one. Fuck Barbara Bush's ghost. Yeah, fuck her. All right, that's the show. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg testifying tomorrow. Yeah, stick, stay tuned uh, we'll for probably. tomorrow's show. I think we're, we're definitely going to be keeping an eye on that. He's going to be talking about his not-at-all-fucking-creepy uh, currency plan. Yeah. Until then, subscribe over at patreon.com slash district sentinel to help support the news co-op here in D.C. Get access to all the bonus content, plus you get your own haiku read on tomorrow's show. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.